coronavirus is now in the Bay Area. How does this impact your church worship? Lent is fully underway with prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. What are you doing these 40 days? We'll also look at the right of election and the preparation for those coming into the church. All this and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. So, Bishop, you were in Rome three weeks ago, and Italy has been in the news. Our Holy Father has been sick. The, the question is, how do you feel? <laughs> well, John, good to be with you again. And uh, you're right, I was in Italy for the Ad Limina visit. And boy, am I I'm glad that it was three weeks ago. Right. <laughs> and, and not this week, because Italy, of course, is one of those countries that has been greatly impacted by, by the spread of the coronavirus. You know, when I, I returned home, I felt great and really didn't manifest any of the symptoms of either illness or flu or the coronavirus as we understand them. So I feel very blessed in that way. The word had it over the weekend that the Holy Father missed some appointments, was sick, keeping his private appointments. But rumor quickly flies when you hear about other people sick in Italy and around the world. Yeah, that's true. And and I did just hear the other day, though, that uh, they confirmed that it's not the coronavirus, that right. the Holy Father is suffering from what we would say would be like a cold. And uh, so he has cut back on his public schedule. And in fact, uh, really, I think for the first time during his pontificate, chose to miss his Lenten retreat with the other members of the Curia, choosing rather to rest and, and to stay out of public. Even with the Holy Father with a cold, which is nothing to sneeze at, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reminder for all of us to be aware when we go to church services and out in public to be mindful of others, to be charitable of others, to not spread it. Our diocese, as well as others around the country, are trying to remind our parishioners to be cautious, I'll say. Well, it, it's just the right thing to do and the considerate thing to do, especially at this time of year when flu is, is, is still even still prevalent in our area. But now with the, you know, the concerns about the, the coronavirus here in the United States and, and even locally here in our diocese, I, I've heard that there's a, a few cases that have been confirmed here within the boundaries of our diocese. So we want to take precautions and we want to be careful, really just doing common sense things. So the diocese did put out some guidelines and sent that to all of our pastors and parishes and departments and to our schools. Following just common sense guidelines, most of them that are provided by the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, things like washing your hands frequently, not coughing in public, but trying to cover your mouth with a handkerchief or a tissue or even into your elbow if that's possible. You know, and asking our parishes just to, to use extra vigilance with cleaning and sanitizing the, the handles of the doors, the entrances to the church, and making sure that the holy water fonts are clean. Just common sense things, John. And also, and I think most important, if you are sick, or if you're feeling like you're getting sick, please don't come to church, you know, stay out of the public kind of atmosphere and, and, and be considerate of others. And just so our listeners know, if you are sick and you're not able to attend Mass, that's not a sin. <laughs> that right. you are, I was going to ask you. You are excused from that obligation if you are physically ill and, and unable to attend Mass. So that would be the, the good thing to do and the considerate thing to do. Yeah, and we want to remind our listeners, too, that if you, for whatever reason, can't attend Mass uh, because of your illness, you can always listen to Spirit FM 
Uh, we have the Mass daily at 11 a.m. and 11.30 p.m., and of course on Sunday mornings at 11. All of those come from the cathedral, and I know it's televised on EWTN, Channel 44 here locally, and other cable outlets, depending, so it doesn't take a lot of effort to find it. And certainly right here on, on 90.5, you can get it every day. Yeah, what a what a blessing that is to our diocese that we're able to offer the mass by those means, by that media, not just those for who are sick, but those who are homebound and may not be able to get out that they can participate in the celebration of the Eucharist and offer a spiritual communion during that time. Many Catholics, and I'll include myself in this, when we attend mass, sometimes we just do things out of habit. And you almost forget the meaning of why you're doing it. So when I walk into a church, I automatically, bang, I'm putting my two fingers into the holy water font. Should I continue to do that? Well, I think you can at the moment. Now, (laughs) we may get to a point where we have to remove the holy water if it does seem to pose a, a more imminent or threatening risk to health. But right now, we've just asked our parishes to make sure that the holy water fonts or stoops, that they're they're kept clean, that they're cleaned and sanitized on a regular basis. Because as you said, that's an important thing that we do when we enter the church, when we dip our fingers into the holy water and bless ourselves. It's it's a reminder to us of our baptism and to the uh, cleansing waters of baptism by which we enter into the life of the church. So appropriate when we enter physically into the church to come for Mass, that we were reminded of our our baptism, which through those waters, we entered into the life of the church and the life of grace. Now, I've been to churches during Lent in the past where they empty the stoops. There's no water in them anyway. And in fact, when I've gone to those churches and I'm like, wow, where's the holy water? Oh yeah, we're in Lent. Yeah. (laughs) Some parishes have done that. We, We don't recommend that practice. And I know for some, it was symbolic of the how do you how would you the say desert, the dryness right. or the desert type experience during Lent? But it is a, a sacramental of our faith and something that leads us deeper into our faith and to the mystery of the sacraments. So we don't want to deny people that uh, during the season of Lent. You know, again at, at the Easter Vigil uh, when we celebrate the baptism of adults, and I think we may speak about that uh, sure. shortly. You know, it's a it's a reminder to us of our own baptism, and so that's a, a rich sacrament and something that we always want to be reminded about. Usually communion is offered in most churches, on, especially on Sundays, uh, both the chalice and in the body. It's not necessarily that you do either one. I mean, you've got to do one of them, but it's not necessarily that you need to do the chalice. No, many parishes offer the Eucharist under both species, both the, the bread and the wine. But what I want our listeners to know is that whether you receive the consecrated host, the real presence of our Lord in the host, or in the, the precious blood, that you're receiving the fullness of the body, blood, soul, and divinity, whether you just receive the host or whether you just receive from the cup. You're not missing something if you, right. if you don't receive both. But it would be a more fuller sign of the reality of the Lord's body and blood by receiving both. But you're not denied anything if you just receive one as opposed to both. We had a staff meeting earlier, and at the end of our prayer time, we were asked to exchange the sign of peace. It was interesting, the gestures, because we're recommended not necessarily shake hands. And I was told at one of the churches that, hey, you don't the traditional two-finger peace sign, but today it may be different. 
<laughs> well, at our staff meeting, you're right. It was a little bit, a little bit awkward when, when we, elbows when and we fist did that, bumps. fist bumps and so forth. But, you know, I would say, again, it's just being prudent and vigilant. And, and especially if you think you might be coming down with something or if there's a possibility you could have come into contact with somebody who's sick, we wouldn't want to transmit that. So it's not being disrespectful to somebody else. It's actually being charitable. I know myself, when I go to shake somebody's hand and they say, you know, Bishop, you know, thank you, but I have a cold. I'm always very appreciative of that. And I said, no, thank you for letting me know. (laughs) Right. So it's the same thing. The the sign of peace is a gesture. It can be a physical gesture. We can just kind of give a little head bow or nod to somebody or just say, you know, peace be with you uh, without actually touching the other person. It's a sign of respect. It is. And, And I think, again, if somebody's having anxiety or if there's a possibility that illness could be translated by the physical contact, we want to be respectful of each other. At some parishes, when we get to the uh, the words our Savior taught us, hands go out and people are holding hands at the Our Father. That's usually a local tradition, not necessarily something that the universal church does, although it's accepted. That's correct, John. That's not an instruction that's given to us uh, in the Roman Missal. Basically, what we're supposed to do is to take some form of a, what we would call an orons or a prayer position to pray that prayer to our Father, which our Lord gave us. And so the joining of hands, while it may seem symbolic uh, in some cases or situations, that is more of a local custom. It's nothing that is prescribed or required by the church to do. Obviously, we're called to prayer and pray for those who are sick and for this time in the church so that we could get back to more of a normal practice, I'll say. Right. We always want to remember, and in in fact, when we offer the uh, intercessions at the Mass, we usually pray for the sick, those in our community and those in the world who are sick or suffering in some way. But we can also do that, and we should do that in our personal prayer as well, because we do believe in the healing power of God, that he can heal those who are ill. Talking about handshakes, you shook about 400 hands the other day at the (laughs) rite of election service. Did you have to soak your hand in water afterwards? (laughs) That's that's interesting, John. You're right. We we had the rite of election this past Sunday, and something that we do here in, in our diocese at each of the elect comes up to greet the bishop. So I had the the blessing of greeting each of the catechumens now elect that came forward by shaking their hand and welcoming them and just wishing God's blessing upon them. But I will share with you, John, the first thing I did when the rite was over and I went back to the sacristy (laughs) was to give my hands a good washing. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was just the right thing to do. Sure. It was a big crowd. I mean, the, the cathedral's packed. It was. This year we had almost 400 catechumens that came to the cathedral on this first Sunday of Lent to celebrate the rite of election, which our listeners are not familiar with that. It's one of the rites of the church, which is celebrated as part of our RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. And it really marks the beginning of a final period of preparation for adults who have never been baptized. So these are called catechumens, and through the right of the election, they are elected or chosen by the church and by God to celebrate the Easter sacraments at the Easter vigil in their particular parishes. And so they come to the cathedral. It's a beautiful sign of unity, really, of our diocese with their bishop at the cathedral, which is the bishop's church, 
bishop being the principal, kind of a sign of unity within the diocese to celebrate that right, to pray for them, to bless them, and to let them know that we'll be with them during these final weeks of preparation. One of the interesting things I noted in your homily was that with these gathering from all of the people from around our diocese, from Citrus County to, to Pinellas County, that the church is even bigger than that. It goes beyond Florida. It goes beyond the United States. It's worldwide. And the people coming in are part of a universal church. Well, that's right. Most of us as Catholics, we're familiar with our own parish community. And that's where we go to Mass each Sunday. That's where we you know, receive the Eucharist and celebrate the other sacraments of our faith. But we should remember that we're part of a larger church. You know, we're not only part of a parish community, but we're part of a diocese here in St. Petersburg, just part of the church in the United States, and then part of the universal church, which counts over 1.2 billion Catholics worldwide. So we're, we're part of that family. But again, most of our spiritual or faith experiences within our own parish community. And even within our own faith families, which I want to ask you the difference between, let's say, a a sponsor and a godparent. And can a godparent be a sponsor? So a godparent, when we use that term strictly, would be somebody who is a baptized Catholic and agrees to stand up for or accompany somebody who is seeking baptism in the Catholic Church. So whether that be an infant, you know, a newly born child, or a um, child of age, meaning over seven years old, or an adult. So they can serve as their godparent, but that would usually be a a baptized Catholic who's in good standing within the church. A Christian sponsor can be somebody who is baptized, but maybe not Catholic. Okay. So they can serve as a sponsor. But when somebody is being baptized, we do ask that at least one of the, so to speak, godparents be a baptized practicing Catholic in good standing in the church. You mentioned catechumens, and I've also heard the term candidate. Interchangeable, or there's a little bit of a difference? No, those are two different things. So the, again, these are words that we use uh, as part of the, the rite of Christian initiation when somebody desires to become Catholic. So a catechumen would refer to an unbaptized person, to an unbaptized adult, or a uh, child of um, the age of reason. So that would be, they would be called a catechumen. And then once they go through the rite of election, which we just celebrated, they're known as the elect. A candidate is re- referring to somebody who's a candidate to come into full communion with the church. So this would be someone who was baptized uh, in another Christian denomination using the same formula and using water as we do at our baptism. So it's a valid baptism, but they have not yet been confirmed or received the Eucharist. So they're referred to as a candidate for full communion in the church. RCIA, usually a series of classes. Each church is different or is there a... So each parish would have a RCIA program where those who are interested or want to learn more about becoming Catholic would start participating in. And there's different national programs or materials that are available, and some parishes utilize those. Some come up with their own uh, approach to to the RCIA program. But the main point of of that program— courses to introduce somebody to God and to speak with them about where they are in their faith journey, and then assist them in coming to understand and to learn about the teachings of our faith 
and about God's love for them, about the grace of the sacraments, and about the life which they're about to enter into uh, through the reception of the sacraments. We mentioned there were nearly 400 at the cathedral the other day, and I would guarantee you that all 400 had a unique story. Some were elderly, and some were little children. Some were 21 years old. Some were in their 50s and been, been exploring for 25 years. When you looked at the cathedral on Sunday afternoon, now again, these were just catechumens, so these weren't candidates. Right. It really was a cross-section of our diocese, wasn't it? As you said, in terms of age and even in terms of ethnicity. culture, ethnicity, all these different things that make us unique. So it was just beautiful to see the diversity, but then, of course, the unity of our faith uh, that we, were, we are professing through the sacraments. We are in the season of Lent, and the three aspects that we briefly touched on in our last program were prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And there are different forms of prayer that we can take on during this Lenten season. Uh, Is there something that Bishop Parks does in prayer time during this time that you maybe have taken on or you give a little more emphasis to during the Lenten season? In my own personal prayer life, of course, would would pray the prayer of the church, which is the liturgy of the hours, which deacons and priests are make a promise to pray, you know, each day. But then also, I I enjoy John just spending quiet time with the Lord. You know, I've come to realize that I don't always have to be saying something. Okay. You know, in the Catholic Church, we do have a very rich treasury of prayers and devotions, and like the the Rosary or the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, novenas, things such as those, which are very beautiful, and we do need to pray those. But I also find just placing myself in the presence of the Lord. Uh, and just spending some quiet time with him and, and again, trying to clear my mind of uh, whatever distractions or burdens or things I may be worried about at that moment, and, and just say to the Lord, you know, Lord, I, I just want to spend this time in your presence. Fill me with your love and with your presence and lead me and guide me to do your will in my life. So that's, I think, uh, just silent prayer with God is is often a beautiful expression of prayer. Many people can develop a habit if they do it every day for 20, 30 days. And so during this time, I notice where we are at Spirit FM, we're right across the parking lot from Christ the King. The parking lot is always more full for the noon mass during Lent. People make it a habit, and then you'll that habit can grow into a regular routine. So that's part of the good that comes from Lent. Well, it sure is. I mean, what's the definition of virtue? A virtue is a good habit. A vice is a bad habit, right? So we want to practice virtues in our lives. And the idea is uh, hopefully not to just do them for a 40-day period during the season of Lent, but that they'll continue then beyond Lent and into Easter and then just become a normal part of our lives. But again, because of the increased emphasis on prayer, some of the faithful will go to try to go to daily Mass more frequently or to go to pray the Stations of the Cross at their parish on Friday night after the fish fries, you know, right. mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a beautiful thing to do. Um, so those are good, good practices, good things we do during Lent. But they don't have to stop when Lent comes to an end. Uh, Hopefully we can continue them into Easter and the rest of the year. And the same, I guess, could be said for fasting. It's not just fasting necessarily from food or drink. It can be other things in our lives that we can change those vices, I'll say. Sure. I mean, you know, fasting is, is one of the disciplines of Lent. People fast for many reasons. I mean, 
some people fast just for the physical benefit of it. I was reading an article the other day about what's called, I guess, intermittent fasting or occasional fasting, but really doesn't have any spiritual value for those that do that. It's more of a physical thing with regard to their own health. But as as Christians, as Catholics, we kind of elevate fasting to a spiritual level. And there's many different benefits or reasons that we can do it. I, I think one of the primary ones for me is always by denying myself, you know, some earthly pleasure or fulfillment regarding food, you know, you're making more room in your life for God and for his presence, realizing that, you know, food can satisfy you temporarily, but then you're hungry again. But we know that it's 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 our relationship with God, it's the bread of life, the Eucharist, which ultimately satisfies us uh, in our lives. Some people will give up, they'll fast from social media. Uh, some will fast from television in order to spend more quality time with family. Yeah, so again, it's it's making a sacrifice of some type. It's denying ourselves something in order to focus more on God and what's important in our lives. It's recognizing that we can't just fill our lives with, with things that, that make us feel good because, again, those don't last. They fail to satisfy. It's only God's presence. It's only his love in our lives that, that will satisfy our deepest longings. Finally, almsgiving, giving to the poor. We can do that financially, but other ways too. It is, and you know, this is something we should not just again do during Lent, but it should be just a normal part of our lives as followers of Christ is to to support the poor, to give to those who are less fortunate, and to give of our blessings, really in gratitude for what the Lord has given to us, but then to share it with others. You know, one of my memories I still have of uh, going to Catholic school was we used to get the little what we call mite boxes. You I was know, the, ask you about that. <laughs> you know, the little boxes sure. that we would get at Lent, and you'd put your loose change in there, your pennies or whatever else you had, uh, and then at the end of Lent, of course, we would all turn them in, and that money would be donated to to the poor, and that's still done today through the uh, like the CRS has their um, Operation Rice, Rice Bowl. Bowl, Operation Rice Bowl, and so our our children and our students still do that. That today and uh, it's something I remember. Probably you do as well. Oh yeah. And so it sets a good foundation for a life of of giving, which is an expression of our gratitude to God, but also of our concern for those who are less fortunate. So when I was a little kid, this is my memory. Mom would bring home the the mite box, and it had a picture of a kid on it, a little boy on it, and I thought the kid's name was Mike, and it was Mike Box. We were giving to Mike, <laughs> and then as I got older. It became a mite box. I might put my change in there. I might not. I don't know what I've got planned this week. So we'll see how it goes. And Uh, it was only until I was, I've got to admit, in my late teens, early 20s, that I'm like, Oh, it's the widow's might. The it's widow's the might, might, right? Might. That's a it's an now interesting interpretation, it. John. That's funny. <laughs> well, you know where I, I, I come never, from. <laughs> never heard that one before, but that's very good. And you're, you're welcome to use that if you want. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Do you ever attend parish missions? I don't usually uh, at this point as a bishop. I, I typically don't attend them. But when I was a pastor and a priest in my previous dioceses, I, I would go ahead and have those at my Be parish, pastor. and I would participate in them, sure. of course not just to support the faithful that would come, but for my own spiritual benefit. So um, many parishes do offer a Lenten mission, and I would encourage our listeners to to check their local parish to see when that's happening and to participate. Often we, we bring in very good uh, nationally known speakers 
who, who can give us a message that's appropriate for this season of Lent and try to assist us and encourage us on our Lenten journey. One of the things, it's not a parish mission, but a diocesan event that I want to remind our listeners about or share with our listeners on May 2nd, there's going to be a second annual Marian Congress at the cathedral. Can you briefly share about that? Of course. Some of our listeners might remember that for our 50th anniversary as a diocese, we consecrated the diocese to the Immaculate Heart of Mary as part of that celebration, entrusting our diocese and our our good works to our Blessed Mother. So as part of that, I I realized that there was a a need for greater Marian devotion throughout the Diocese of St. Petersburg and came up with the idea of doing an annual Marian Congress or conference. So it'll be a one-day event held at the Cathedral of St. Jude the Apostle in St. Petersburg. Uh, We will have some national speakers coming in to offer talks on Marian devotion and consecration, and it'll culminate with the celebration of Mass in the afternoon, I think at 4 p.m., and an opportunity to re-consecrate yourself to Mary, to our Blessed Mother. You can find out more details, I'm sure, in the coming weeks by visiting uh, dosp.org and, of course, at uh, cathedralalive.org. I'm sure it will be on the cathedral site in the coming weeks. So, Bishop, uh, as we uh, migrate through Lent, can we close our program today with a prayer and a blessing to guide us through this time? Uh, Of course, John. Let us pray. God, our Father, we entrust ourselves to you as we continue our Lenten journey. We pray that you may strengthen us in the sacrifices that we are making during this Lenten season, and that we may unite those sacrifices with the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ for a greater good. Bless our efforts as we offer them up to you. Make them holy, and again, strengthen us as we continue our journey towards Holy Week and towards Easter. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.